Welcome to the Inspired Women Podcast. I am your host, Megan Hall, psychology grad student, spouse, mom, and advocate for change. On this podcast, I provide a space for women to share their stories. Warning, sometimes we chat about taboo topics and drop some F-bombs. Thank you for tuning in with me today and enjoy the episode. Hey, everyone. Today, I'm here with Dr. Sarah Glova. She is the CEO of the award-winning digital marketing or digital media firm. I'm like, I worked for a digital marketing company, so I'm like, it digital just rolls marketing. right off the top. It I know. does. <laughs> uh, Reify Media, serving university, corporate, and nonprofit clients across the country. Well, speaking of university, we spoke before the podcast, just an aside, and people know if they've been listening that I'm in college in my um, Mm -hmm. graduate school and I want to go for my PhD. So I'm like, I see university. I'm like, oh, that's me. Look at that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Sarah is an expert in technical communication. She is known for translating complicated technical trends into authentic discussions for all skill levels. And that's something I need sometimes. (laughs) She speaks about technology trends, uh, smart city innovations, instructional technology, women in entrepreneurship, and more. Sarah has facilitated training sessions from California to Qatar with highlights like Connected World Summit in London, Select USA Summit in Washington, D.C., IoT Evolution in Florida, and many more. Her trademark skill is bringing trends and innovation to life with powerful and engaging storytelling. Sarah is passionate about supporting women and entrepreneur-focused organizations like National Association of Women Business Owners, NAWBO. She was the youngest president to lead NAWBO, Greater Raleigh. I'm like, Raleigh. In the chapter's 40-year history when she served from 2017 to 2018, she also serves on the board of directors for Innovate Raleigh, an organization dedicated to making Raleigh one of the top five centers for innovation and entrepreneurship in the country, and is a founding board member of the North Carolina Women Business Owners Hall of Fame. Woo, that's a lot. (laughs) Congratulations on all of that. And my voice is, is messing up. I did not have symptoms of COVID, but I feel like I have after effects where everyone's it's either COVID or my thyroid. Like, I'm just like, my voice sucks. Um, so I apologize, Sarah, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Oh, gosh, don't apologize. Thanks for sharing my bio. It's so nice to be here with you. I am a longtime listener and I have to say my favorite thing about your podcast during the pandemic, cause you just mentioned COVID has been the chance to connect and hear these stories of all these women. I, I just haven't been getting that in my day-to-day life as we all kind of stay safe and, and stay isolated. And so your podcast has been such a great connection to women literally all over the place. Thank you from all over. Yeah. Yes. We have had people from coast to coast. I mean, not coast to coast. I mean, coast to coast in the United States, but like all over you know, uh, Australia and Japan. And I'm like, how did these people find me? I don't know. <laughs> the beauty. It's the beauty of the connected world that we're living in for sure. But I'm very glad to be here with you. Thank you so much. Yes. I'm so glad to have you. Uh, and we want to talk about 
a lot of different things that uh, we as women experience, but people experience in general. And I'd like you to kick us off on talking about self-confidence. Uh, I mm. was talking on a podcast episode that's airing soon. I was just editing it before we we hopped on. Um, it's actually airing the week before yours. Uh, so Sharon, and I was like talking about how I have low self-esteem and I'm like, that definitely stems from childhood. But I mean, self-confidence is something that we, we all struggle with at some point in time in our lives. Mm -hmm. It's so true. And I think recently we've had great discussions about it as imposter syndrome. We're talking a lot about Mm. imposter syndrome right now, where, you know, we're questioning when is everyone going to discover that I actually don't know what I'm talking about? When is everyone going to figure that, figure out that I actually shouldn't even be here. So we talk about imposter syndrome a lot. I think confidence, self-esteem, a lot of us can picture, the posters that were on the walls in elementary school, you know, the soaring eagle over the mountaintop that's like self-esteem, you can do it. And it feels, feels a little empty. And as, especially as women right now, we're having to do so many things, balance Mm. so many things. It can be really easy for our confidence to get shaken because how are we managing it all? And so, yeah, those self-esteem posters from back in fifth grade, those messages, they just don't cut it. You know, we need something else. We need, we need something stronger to help us uh, feel confident, to help us tap into our self-esteem. And so I've been doing a lot of work on that the last couple of years. Yeah. I can uh, relate to imposter syndrome. Some days when I'm in school, I'm like, I got this. I'm so smart. And then other days I'm like, do they realize how stupid I am? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's so true. And anyone who's a parent out there, um, I, I had a pandemic baby. I had one of those. So I had a, my (laughs) youngest son was born last June. So June, um, 2020. So I guess two Jins ago. Um, and he, he is wonderful. Um, but then I had him, the pandemic's happening. I'm on maternity leave. I'm really pretty isolated from the community. It was so hard to bounce back. I mean, Mm. as a parent, those late nights really zap a lot of your energy. We're feeling that now as, as people are struggling with kids that are in and out of school, it zaps so much of your energy and your brain power. And you just don't even feel like you, you're going into meetings and forgetting words and just waiting for someone to stand up and say, sorry, you gotta leave. You clearly, clearly you don't have it together. You're, uh, you're going to have to go. And that's not going to happen, but we're afraid of it. We're afraid to be seen um, as, as lacking in that way. Absolutely. Speaking of parenting, I feel like that's a place that uh, we can falter with self-esteem. I've been a mom almost 19 years. I, I know I look really young, but I was a teen mom. And um, even after 19 years, I'm like, do people realize I have no idea what the hell I'm doing? <laughs> I know. I know. And now you can um, maybe let me know what this has looked like for you. So our oldest is eight. So I've been a mom for eight years. And even in those eight years, it's changed. Mm-hmm. It is so much harder now not to compare myself with other moms because the stories are everywhere, of course, mm-hmm. on social. Um, and it's so easy to see all the things that other moms are doing, other parents are doing, not just moms. And And to, right, again, find yourself lacking. And that's just in the eight years that I've noticed how much more pressure. I imagine uh, in your experience these past 19 years that you've seen that change. Mm -hmm. Social media changes it. So when my uh, daughter 
was little. So I was the early adopter of Facebook, like when you needed a college uh, email. It was the um, first right time there with I was you, in girl. College. I remember. Yeah. I remember. <laughs> um, yep. So in the very beginnings, people don't realize if they're not uh, like old enough is like Facebook wasn't what it is today or social media in general, where it's like all these years, everybody's sharing like all these pictures and all these wonderful things you did. We didn't have smartphones. So we're not like taking pictures all the time. And it was like random, like I look mm-hmm. back at my memories and it was like, I went out with my friends tonight. It was fun. <laughs> and that's the whole post. That's the whole post. But now uh, social media is, has made it to where like everybody shares their highlight reel, right? Mm-hmm. Like sometimes I'll share like the struggles of parenthood, but I don't want to like be a Debbie Downer and bring everybody down and be like, do you know how hard it is to have an adult child? Like it's mm-hmm. awful. Um, but then my daughter is posting on social media, all of her struggles. Mm-hmm. And all I can think is like, oh my God, everybody is judging me that I'm not able or I'm, I'm not doing like people might think I should be doing more. I don't Mm -hmm. have the money to give her thousands of dollars every time she wants or needs it. I'm like, it's not, not in my budget, but also I wouldn't want to enable her not to be able to like take care Mm -hmm. of herself. Not only is it my posts now, but my kids posts that people are seeing and interpret. Wow. It's fascinating. Wait and wait till teenagehood or like when you allow your children to have access to social media, it is a whole new world because now you're like, are people judging me by their post? And I actually had somebody, her father's girlfriend and her father reached out to me one time. She posted a video when she was like 17 and it, to me, it was really innocent. She was showing her shoulder. Oh my God, that is so horrible. Um, and she was like making kissy faces and him and his girlfriend, who I don't know, mind you, she should not have messaged me. I was not nice back, but um, we're like, she needs to take down that video. That's inappropriate. And I'm like, she's showing her shoulder and making kissy faces. If I just, Can we reflect on like how amazing that is that they saw this video and it wasn't, hey friend, I saw this and was concerned wanted to flag it for you, which I, I would even argue that that's, that's actually pretty rude, but yeah, it was this, Hey, here's what you should do. You need to have her take this out. It's so interesting to think how available we are to those kinds Mm. of judgments and to your first question about confidence and self-esteem. I mean, we are incredibly, incredibly available to other people's judgments. Sometimes it comes framed as advice. And it's, Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of research shows us that we still interpret that as a judgment and that that can cause stress. So of course, of course, we're dealing with confidence and self-esteem right now. I mean, of course. Yeah. Everybody, you know, people make comments on social media and maybe well-meaning comments and sometimes not, but you're not speaking face-to-face. I mean, we're not in person, but we're over video. We can see each other, Mm -hmm. see Mm -hmm. each other's facial expressions. It actually drives me I understand that some guests don't want me to see them, but it's difficult for me because I can't see their facial expressions Mm -hmm. and I don't know where they're coming from, but like online, you don't see, and you don't hear voice inflections. You don't know where somebody's coming from. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's very easy to be like, oh my God, how dare you? And now sometimes like if you're framing it, like your daughter needs to, our daughter needs to remove this video. And I'm just like, oh, please. If I had social media as a teenager, I would have posted a lot worse. Thank God we did not. I think about that all the time, all the time. I do. I think about it all the time. And there are so many things that I think back to 
Well, so to get to your question about confidence and the kind of topic of confidence, when I think about what makes me feel confident, and then I think about the things that make me feel nervous, anxious, judged, you know, all the things that zap my confidence. I do think back to like some memories that I have of early times, you know, feeling ashamed or not included. And I think we're really lucky that those aren't on social. And for my kids, it's very possible that those memories for them, not only are they going to be the kind of memories that, you know, everybody gets embarrassed. And as a kid, everybody makes mistakes. Um, You feel made fun of. Can you imagine all that being reported? And so more than ever, Mm -hmm. I've been trying to talk with student groups that I work with and um, they, they they are just coming to the workplace, trying to show up. Uh, These students that I work with are usually coming out of college. Um, A lot of the young women that I work with in the entrepreneurial programs, we talk about confidence and we talk about the things that maybe make them, you know, feel less confident. And a lot of these things, they have real memories of these in their heads, but there are also Mm -hmm. artifacts online that they're afraid of coming back. Mm So just a really, it's a really interesting discussion. It's an interesting time to be, to be a woman and trying to show up confidently. I will say something I've noticed is that it's something we can talk about across all levels. I work with students, as I mentioned, and we talk about confidence. When I talk to women who are in the C-suite, we still talk about confidence. When I talk to women who are, you know, being interviewed in, in news publications and they are showing up like these just amazing boss, like you're so in awe of them and they're telling you how nervous they are or how they don't feel confident. And so, I mean, it's something we're talking about really across all levels. Yeah. And it's so easy to compare yourself and, and you are talking about social media. It lives forever. Like you can delete it, but it is in a database somewhere. It does not die. And that's one thing that people forget is like, they will find (laughs) these things and they will like, think about people who run for office And it was a little more difficult for them to find things um, about these legislatures before social media. But now it lives Mm -hmm. forever. You say one wrong thing and they're going to pull that up like five years later and be like, you remember, you remember this tweet? Well, here's this. We talk about this. When we talk about why women uh, are not interested in politics, this is something that comes up that they're concerned that they will just be murdered online that people will be looking for any little picture and and even someone who has like a pretty pg past there's there's stuff that they don't want coming up and and just to feel violated and have your content twisted in that way um that's a big concern even for women who are considering you know going into office that that's and i would even say i work with a lot of entrepreneurs and right now i'm working with a lot of women who are on the speaking circuit, which is something mm. that I've worked on the past few years. I've, I've always spoken on stages. I've been, I've been speaking and doing training for over 10 years, but it's really just in the last year that I've started marketing myself as a speaker. Mm-hmm. And it's such a shift, right? Because before you start marketing yourself as that, it's kind of like, oh, how nice this fell into my lap. I guess I will go speak about this topic that I'm known for. Thank you so much. Now I'm putting myself out there and I'm saying, Mm -hmm. I want to speak about these things. Hire me to come speak about these things. It takes so much confidence. You are in such a vulnerable place when you're posting that kind of stuff on social. And so the women that I'm working with who are going through the same thing, 
there's so much hesitation there. They're willing mm-hmm. to put their brand forward if they've started a company. Um, they're willing to talk about the organizations they work with, but when they have to present themselves, just them, just their name and say with confidence, this is what I want you to hire me for. Um, I'm working with a lot of women who are struggling with that. And the struggle, I mean, it goes back. We end up talking about things that happened in childhood that are why these women are scared to to raise their hand and, and say to the world, this is what I want. I think you should hire me to do this. Yeah. For, uh, for several years, I was a speaker and I would get up there and speak to people and the imposter syndrome. Cause I'm like, I don't, I, I get up there. So before I get up there, I'm like, okay, yep, I'm good. I'm good. And then I get up there and I'm looking at all these people. And I'm like, mm. well, they're listening to me and they think what I'm saying is important. And I feel like what I'm saying, like, is not important at all because like you start to like, like you said, think back to like, you know, mm-hmm. childhood and you get up there and, and people would laugh or they'd roll their eyes mm-hmm. or they start talking while you're you're speaking and you get super nervous and you felt like everybody was judging you. And it happens as adults too. It really does. And the way that you just put it is so beautiful because I think a lot of, a lot of people could probably relate to this. You, you get asked to speak or um, you get an opportunity to share your expertise and then kind of somewhere in the middle of it, you're sharing it. You're so close to it right? Like you, you have a podcast with years and years, hundreds of episodes. You have been in graduate school. I heard in one of your recent episodes, I think it was when you were talking to the former Senator, um, Dr. Romero, where she was talking about her social psychology PhD. And you were talking about how that's an interest of yours. And I mean, right away, you just, you, both of you are kind of nerding out about these topics. I mean, you're such an expert in this space. And yet even you, when you get on stage, you feel panicky, like, isn't this pretty basic? Like, doesn't everyone kind of know what I'm talking about? And no, you're just so close to it that it can feel that way sometimes. And that's when imposter syndrome, I think, can kick in really hard for some people. And so it's just remembering that you were asked to talk about that topic for a reason and that there are things that you know that are going to be helpful to share. Or even if those other people in the audience know a little bit about what you're talking about, they don't know your perspective on it and your you know, specific angle on it and the specific experiences that you have that you're bringing to the table So a big part of my work is just reminding women of that, reminding them, you know, why their voice is so important, why we need to hear it from the different stages. But to your point, I mean, we do have to go back. We have to talk about those embarrassing moments from childhood Mm -hmm. when we got, you know, made fun of or bullied. And it's hard. It's not something I always love to talk about. I get embarrassed when I share my own stories. Mm -hmm. We don't want to be showing up as the 35 year old who can't get over the time that she got picked on in fifth grade. You know, that's not how I want people to think of me necessarily, yeah. but if we don't deal with those things, I, I think they do come back and haunt us. If we don't get, if we let that fear kind of stay hidden away and that embarrassment stay hidden away and we try to like push it down, I think it'll pop up. And so it's so much better to just give it space, let it breathe a little bit, let it free. And then we can attack it head on rather than trying to cover it up. Yeah. And, and those things stick with you. Right. Anybody who's listening, who was like, oh my gosh, this thing was said to me like in childhood (sighs) and I will never forget it. I had the first boy, this is embarrassing. I had the first boy that I ever showed my chest to, uh, make a comment about my nipples and I never forget it. Like every time I, how could you bless, how could you? (laughs) 
<laughs> oh, I mean, there's no way that we're going to forget. I feel like anybody listening to this, if you pause for a second and just think about things that were said to you when either when you were a kid or when you were going through puberty or, you know, the first time you fell in love, whatever it was, there are things that you can remember people saying because mm-hmm. they, they just shook either your image of yourself or they just hurt. They just, I mean, so my embarrassing, so I'll trade you one. When I was in elementary school, the kids, not all the kids, but a few mean ones had this poem where they would say, roses are red, violets are black. Sarah's front chest is as flat as her back. Oh my Which, God. Can we first point out, like not even great phrasing. Like if you have to say front chest, like redundant, come on, like not even a good poem. But of course I still remember it, right? And I'm laughing mm. about it now as like a protective. I mean, that hurt. That was awful. Yeah. That was so awful. But what I did have, I love that, you know, we're talking about this. It's close to, it's Valentine's time, right? Yeah. I have a friend to this day. She's, I could call her right now. She'd pick up. Um, we were friends in fifth grade and I wrote a, a letter to a boy that I had a crush on and I asked oh him to check God. yes, check yes or no, right? On whether he liked me. And I was so nervous and he didn't like me. I was not, I don't, I don't think I had any kids have a crush on me at that time. I was, I was like the nerdy, awkward. Me too. (laughs) Oh, awful. And so anyway, my friend brings me back this note and he's checked. Maybe he drew in a box and checked maybe. And I was like on cloud nine. I mean, for years, that was like such a happy thing that had happened to me. And of course I figure out later it was my friend. which is even better. Like what an amazing love story that my friend like checked this box for me and helped, you know, we remember stuff like that. Mm -hmm. We, I think anybody pausing and listening can remember stories like that, that were embarrassing or that helped to shape them. And so I think my message a lot of times to women is like, Hey, we can talk about this. It's okay. I get it. It can be a little embarrassing to admit that something that happened to us when we were 10, that maybe to everyone else doesn't seem like big T trauma did affect us and does come back to haunt us a little bit when we try to show up big. It's okay. But things are still happening as adults, right? So it's not Mm. even like this stuff happened in childhood and it affected us. Like adults are mean. Adults are so mean and not just over politics. That's a whole other level of mean, but like, I I've had people tell me to go take my meds. I who don't even know me, right? People who don't actually know that I have a mental illness. And, mm. uh, one guy the other day online said, I need to go see a shrink. And I'm like, thanks. I already have one. <laughs> a guy take, from, my man. Yeah. Hot a take. guy from high school attacked me online. And I'm just like, we grew up together. How could you do this? <laughs> people are, people are mean. The, um, it's so easy. The barrier to access is, is gone down a lot. It, someone could find me right now and put a mean comment online and I, I would probably see it because the, it's so easy to access one another mm-hmm. these days. And you're right. It doesn't necessarily have to be the trauma from when we were 10 that might make us mm-hmm. nervous to show up on stage. I talk a lot at tech conferences and it is very difficult as a woman to show up in a tech space because you get the pop quiz all the time. Oh, you, you know, you're interested in X, Y, Z. Well, tell me, you know, have you ever done ABC? And it's not something we do to men. Um, and then, you know, you get judged a lot more on what you're wearing. I have had mm-hmm. more comments on outfits. It's so interesting. Um, I even remember as a, when I was in graduate school, I was a TA and this is years ago now, but 
one of the classes that I taught was in the engineering department. And one of the students wrote, she has too many outfits. And I'll just <laughs> never forget that comment on my teacher evaluation of like, <laughs> it's funny to think about now. What is too many outfits? That, I don't understand. Right? Like, <laughs> I, I don't know. I had too many outfits. And so it's just not something a male TA is ever going to care. You know, it's just right. a different, in addition to how I'm showing up as an instructor and how effective I am at my content and, and the lectures. It's like, oh, this is this other thing I have to worry about. And so, of course, we hear these things all the time and then it's time for us to show up big and do whatever it is that is showing up big for us. For me, that's speaking on stages. For a lot of the women that I work with, it's speaking on stages or showing up as an entrepreneur. Of course, we're going to be concerned about how others are going to see us, what mm. their judgments are going to sound like, because we're almost conditioned to expect it now. We know that that is coming, those judgments. And so it becomes a matter of how to deal with it. And it's only in the last few years that I've learned, you really can't tell yourself to not think about it. There's a fairy tale of like, become the person who is so confident that you don't care what others think. I would love that. I would love to turn down my the volume in my head on the right. of like what are they gonna think what are they gonna think but I think that's a fairy tale I think instead we just have to learn we have to dial into the things that are worth doing anyway like what would I do even if people made fun of me what do I love so much that I would do even if people made fun of me and then I think confidence comes not from thinking I'm so good at this that no one can make fun of me because that's I mean people make fun of Taylor Swift and she's a freaking god as far as I'm concerned so yeah it's not about showing up perfectly and being untouchable. It's about showing up as authentically as you can. And then when people make fun of you, it's easy to say, well, those are the people I'm going to choose not to listen to. I'm really confident that there are people I'm connecting with. I'm going to tap in over here. It's not easy. I wish I could turn the volume down on the naysayers, but one of my favorite workshop items for it is a practice where I say, okay, you want to not think about the naysayers ready. Don't think about an elephant. What do you think about Right, right, right. Yeah. You think about it, Elvis. I mean, you can't help it. Our brains aren't so good with the whole don't think about this, right? right. Our brains aren't good with negative instruction. And so instead, it's like, a, okay, I'm not going to ignore this elephant there, but let me take a step back from it. Let me reframe. I mean, there's so many mental tools we can use to get some space from the thought rather than trying to cover it up. So that's a lot of the work, I think. And dismantling that myth that confidence is is where you get to where you don't care at all what other people think or you can turn their voices off I think it helps a lot of the women that I work with to say no it's much more about getting to a space where you can hear those things and get some space from it and not want to cover it up and just recognize it's there sometimes it hurts but here are the people I can turn to here's the work that I'm so passionate about that I want to do it anyway yeah and and we as women I'm not saying men do not struggle with this. Okay. No, and I am not a male basher. I understand they struggle with things, but I feel like it's uniquely a struggle for women self-confidence because we are so judged, right? You, you wear too many outfits, uh, people, women right. running for office. They're always talked about their outfits. I'm not talked about right. like other or their things. hair or their yeah. hair. Yeah. It's wild. And it, sexism doesn't just happen because of men, women perpetrate it too. Right. Um, and I read this Twitter thread of this doctor of epidemiology, I think. And she was talking about how she was giving a presentation and, and this one guy raised his hand and interrupted her and said, 
I'm not sure you know what you're talking about. You should read this paper uh, from blah, 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 et al. And she like removed mm-hmm. her hair from her like From her badge. Oh, I love these stories. And she's like, <laughs> was I, like, I am I blah, am. blah, blah at all. Like that, <laughs> that me, bro, that me. I love, I live for those stories on Twitter because they give me so much uh, joy. Not necessarily that we want to, as you put, it's not about bashing certain groups of people are saying that one group necessarily has it harder than another. I'm a white woman. I, there are lots of times where I am walking into a room with immense privilege. I'm not saying that I have it harder than anyone else out there, everyone else out there, anything like that. But it is wonderful when women can show up in a space and be questioned and have the perfect answer. Like, ha, you're referencing the paper that I wrote. Like that's yeah. such a beautiful thing. Unfortunately, a lot of times it doesn't work that way. And so I think we, we celebrate those. They're fun to share, but a lot of times it looks like the guy interrupting us and then the conversation quickly going forward without us and then him getting credit for our idea. Mm-hmm. Or a lot of times it looks like the woman who's on stage and delivers the wonderful presentation, but during Q and a, she has quick answers to everyone's questions. And people say that she was a little prickly or cold or just the kinds Mm. of things that people would never say about a man. And that I think is what I help women deal with. And I think this time, 20 years ago, the the training and the work would have looked a lot like, well, here's how to show up like the men do, or here's how to not offend anybody. Here's how you can lower your voice so that people take you more seriously here. Like here's all the tips to show up so that they'll recognize you. And now wonderfully, it looks a lot different. It's like, here's how to show up as you. Here's how to form allies who will stand up for you when you are interrupted. Here's how to make your manager aware that women are interrupted in meetings more than men and that women are perceived as talking more than men in meetings, even when they don't, so that your manager can help stand up for you when needed and be an ally. Here's how you can change the format of Q&A so that it, you're less likely to experience the kinds of things that women often experience that men don't have to go through during those sessions, the questions that are actually just pop quizzes in disguise. And so luckily the training looks a lot different, but we certainly still have a ways to go. I feel like, you know, to go off of that is sometimes we as women are not taking us seriously. Like, uh, I'm like, I, people have talked about podcasting and dismissed the things that I say. And I'm like, I've been podcasting for five years. I think I might know a little bit about it. Like, I think that's a thing, but they'll be like, Oh, my friend who listens to podcasts said this, Oh, they listen. Cool. That does not mean they've actually hosted a podcast or they have any idea what the hell they're doing. (laughs) It happens to me all the time. So uh, you mentioned in my intro, I've had my company reify media at this point, I've had it for over 10 years, which is just incredible. But to this day, when I introduce myself and say that I have a company and we focus on training and e-learning, I'll get those comments all the time, especially from men, but from all kinds of groups that are things like, oh yeah, my brother does something in training. Oh, he runs a call center. I should introduce you to like, I, what? And it's funny because a lot of times there's good intentions, right? right? It's the, oh, it's nice to meet you. I would love for my network to be helpful to you. And also I want you to recognize that I know a little bit about what you do. So here's some advice or here's a contact. And I think it's just an indication that we've forgotten how to really connect and listen to people because what would be so much more helpful in that situation, instead of saying, oh, my brother has a call center, I introduce you. Like ask a question, 
let's learn a little bit more about what we do, right? This person who approaches you and hears that you have a podcast and then says, oh, my brother listens to podcasts. He's like an expert on it. You should talk to him. But like, <laughs> it's, a, it's such a shallow way of connecting. I think um, a big part of the work that I do with the women that I, uh, that I work with a lot of times is on networking and how to navigate these conversations, how to get out of the ones that are shallow and how to lead with more curiosity so that our conversations go a little deeper. We truly learn about each other and what we're trying to work on. And then maybe we learn how we can help each other, but not just jumping right into, let me give you some advice or whatever it is. Yeah. I do feel like when we connect with other people, it can often be very shallow. I always say, I hate small talk drives me crazy. Like you don't really want to know what I do for a living. You don't really care. Or like always women are asked about children do you have yeah. any children? Like, why? Why do you ask a man if he has any children? No, you don't. No, they like, do not. It's always one of the first questions. And I'm like, I really want to yeah. know about the person. Like, I know. Do I like you? Do I not like you? Like, what are you interested in? Why? Why? I, I mean, I love to ask, like, why do you love doing what you do? Why is that? Because yeah. I mean, cool, you do what you do, but what what lights you up? What gets you amped up to do what you do, right? Because that's so much more fascinating than like, yes. what do you do for a living? How many kids do you have? Are you married? Like mm-hmm. that's none of your business. <laughs> it's it's so interesting when we look at the questions that other cultures ask each other and which ones they don't, like how, um, you know, in a lot of cultures, it would be rude to jump right in and ask somebody about what they do for a living or what they do at work, especially in a social situation, that that would be considered really rude. And I think that kind of thing is really interesting to study because I think it gives us a little bit of openings into questioning our own, like, oh yeah, why do we do that? There's a quote by the feminist writer. I, I'm not going to say her name correctly. Um, I think it's Anas, Anias Nin. I can't believe I can't remember how to pronounce it, but she says, I must be a mermaid. I have no fear of, of depth. And I have a great fear of shallow living. And I, it's one of my favorite quotes. And it's just this reminder, especially for people who feel awkward in social situations. Sometimes the awkwardness isn't about being around people or whether you're shy. It's this shallow conversation that you're not enjoying. And that's giving you anxiety because you'd rather truly connect with people. And so in those situations, I try to remember, maybe you're not weird or awkward. You're just a mermaid. <laughs> you just prefer the, the deep. <laughs> versus the shallow water where you, you just can't thrive. And so, you know, let's change what networking looks like for you. But it's amazing how experience can, and going back to self-confidence can, can make us more confident. Right. So like when I was in school, when I was younger, like elementary school, middle school, high school, and even the first time I went to college, I was not very confident, like in, in class. Right. I was very quiet like felt like I shouldn't be there. And even sometimes right now, I feel like I shouldn't be there, but like, I talk way more in class. I feel Mm. like I have things to contribute. I get really amped up when I can say in undergrad, I wrote this paper on this thing that, that it it relates to what we're talking about. Right. And I'm like, and this is the thing I found. And I'm like, yeah, me. (laughs) Oh, I'm smiling so big right now. I, I love to hear that. I love to hear that because confidence changes. And I love to talk to people about this. It's much more a practice than a status. You're never going to get to confidence status perfect and like reach that status and stay there. It's like any other relationship in our lives. We, we were talking about parenting earlier. You're not going to reach pink parent peak parenting. I'm not going to hit a perfect parent day 
with my eight-year-old and my one and a half-year-old right now and be like, bam, I got nothing left to learn about parenting. I'm good forever. Like hit the, right? Like it's a daily, you're always going to have to learn and adapt because my kids are going to change. You're always going to have to keep practicing. It is the same thing with confidence. It is much more about showing up, feeling insecure, trying to separate yourself from that emotion, look at it a little bit, acknowledge it. It's all good. I'm feeling insecure right now. I'm going to do this thing anyway, because I'm brave and because I care about it and just getting through it. And then remembering that that little bit of confidence, that was like, that was like one rep. That was like a, a cardio workout, whatever comparison you want to make it to. It was the practice and it's going to make it so much easier for next time. And that doesn't mean it ever gets so simple or so perfect. It just means that we keep trying and that it's important enough to us that we keep trying. Yeah. And in my thesis advisor, told me one time, um, cause for my master's, I have to write a thesis and she goes, all this research, all this stuff you're doing that makes you the expert in the room. Mm -hmm. She's like, you may not feel like the expert because you're reading from other people, but none of them are going to be in the room with you. You're the expert in the room and people are going to want to hear your perspective and what you've learned. And I think that's mm -hmm. something we always have to remember, um, as women, when we go into a room, we have expertise in something because no, yeah. like you said, nobody's perfect, but also nobody has all the knowledge in the world and mm -hmm. we have a perspective, um, to share. And I love to like reference people to podcast episodes. And I'm like, I have categories. You want to go on the podcast website. And we have interviewed all these women who talk about like in my women's yeah. psych class, like we were talking about menopause and I'm like, I have a category on menopause. You can hear all these stories. And these are women who have expertise in this, not because they're like OBGYNs, but because they actually experienced it and yeah. they're sharing their stories. And I love being able to like guide people to that because I don't know anything about menopause at all. I'm not there yet, but like, these women do. And we all right. have some sort of expertise when we walk into a room. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's two amazing things that you just said that I, I love. I'm going to take with me. One is we all have expertise when we walk in the room. The way that I talk about it, especially with women is you're not saying that, you know, everything. Mm -hmm. And early in my career, that was my, that was my fear. I wanted to over-prepare. I wanted to know everything so that I had, there was not, you know, uh, any room in my armor. I was totally protected. No matter what question was going to come, I was going to be prepared. And that's a great way to anxiety or yourself to death, right? Because mm -hmm. we can't prepare for everything. We can't prepare for every question. And so what I've learned instead is to remind myself, I don't know everything, but I know how to do research. I know how to learn. If somebody brings up something that I don't know, wonderful. That's an opportunity for me to learn something more. And mm -hmm. I can still show up confidently. Do I judge someone who's at the front of the room? Someone asks them a question. They say, I don't know that. That's fascinating. Can you tell me a little bit more about what in my presentation made you think of that? Mm -hmm. Do I judge that person? Hell no. I think that person's a boss for being up there in the first place. Yeah. If I can give myself that grace too, and remember, I am the expert. I'm the expert on my perspective. They've asked me to come and share. That doesn't mean I know everything. I don't have that pressure. It can be so freeing. And then the second thing you said about shared perspectives, I love that you have these themes in your, you know, hundreds of episodes of podcasts you can reference experience. We have to talk to each other about how nervous we get about the anxieties that we have about overcoming perfectionism, you know, talking more about what our real life looks like opposed to social media, talking about how scared we get speaking up in meetings, because I think it helps us as women to know we're not alone. 
And a lot of times I'll share videos of me speaking. I'll show them to people and I'll say, can you see that my hand is shaking there? And they're like, no, oh my gosh, you don't look nervous at all. Like literally my hand is shaking, watch the video again. And they look and you can see it. I think it's so important because it makes it, it makes it feel like there's nothing wrong with you for being, feeling nervous. There's nothing wrong with you for feeling some anxiety. It just means you care. And we, we've all been there. Yeah. Vulnerability is so important. And I think it's often overlooked. We don't want to share because we're like, we don't want to be judged and, and we don't Mm -hmm. want, and in my theory is, and, and a lot of women on the podcast have said this is if it just helps one person, then it's worth it. And sometimes I'm very transparent about my struggles, especially with mental health. And, you know, that has had like rewards, not in like people paid me or anything like that, but people I know have gotten diagnosed with uh, mental illness because they felt comfortable doing it because I shared, or they saw something in my story and they're like, I struggle with that too. Maybe I need to go see someone and talk this out or get a diagnosis. And, and there's so many people that relate, but like to all sorts of kind of things, parenting struggles, like, you know, people look at me and they're like, you've been parenting for 19 years. You must not struggle at all. (laughs) And you're still alive. How are you doing it? (laughs) But being vulnerable helps other people. And I think we often overlook that because we're so scared of judgment. We're so scared of what other people are going to say. We want to show up perfectly. We want to show up filtered. um, And, and like I was saying earlier, early in my career with that armor, I wanted to have all the answers because I was so afraid of being cast out or being found lacking. Um, And I do think, you know, back to kind of bullying that we talked about, I do think it happens to us early on that women get really punished early on if they um, are showing up weird or different. Um, I think that the world has, has definitely given us plenty of ways to feel knocked down. And so if we can come together as women and share our stories, share when we're feeling vulnerable, I think that helps. We also have to be able to see people doing the things that we want to do. And that I, I talk to women a lot about that and to just say, can you picture women from your childhood doing the things that you want to do? And if not, if you struggle to find examples, just acknowledge that maybe it's hard for you to feel confident in these spaces. Cause you don't even have a visual representation of what right. that could look like. You had, um, I think it was Dr. Morris on your show recently. And she was talking about her experience in medical school about, yeah. I think she said certain types of people go to medical school and I was not that type. And she was just talking about feeling kind of other in medical school. And I so related to that, not because I went to medical school, cheers to you, Dr. Morris, but <laughs> I know, I know that feeling of I am in this room. I am the only woman here, or I am the only person here under 50. or I'm the only woman speaking at this conference. Did they just ask me because I am a woman? does everyone in the audience think that the only reason I'm here is because I'm a woman? And again, that's me as a privileged white girl. And that's my perspective. Imagine if you've never seen anyone who looks like you in that position. And so for women where that's the case, and they're, you know, often the first of the first of the first of to be in the rooms that they're in, we talk about what that can look like in coalition building and finding people who do look like them and who have been through similar things. And it doesn't have to be racial, I think a big part of it needs to be, but it's also like, is there somebody you can think of who's also trying to start a business while taking care of aging parents? Because if that's your situation, it's going to be helpful to have those examples in your toolbox to call on. And the time to need those people is not when you want to find those people. You want to find those people early on so that later when you need them, you have them. It's okay to be a barrier breaker. Think about Kamala Harris, the first woman vice president, first black vice president, the first South Asian vice president. And now girls can look at that and say, oh, me too. 
I can do that too. I could do that. Yeah. Yeah. Being a barrier breaker is, is, is important too. Like you might be the first, but that's important because now people after you will be like, oh, I can do that too. It's important to just recognize that it's hard, I think is the only thing I was talking to one woman about resilience. I was doing some research on resilience and she said, honestly, I'm resilient every damn day. What I want is a break. And it was the first time I'd heard resilience talked about as almost like a burden. And she was first generation college student. She went on to get her PhD, but as an African-American was the first woman African-American in that specific department to get that PhD. And it was eye-opening to me. We need these barrier breakers. We absolutely do. But I think we also need to hold space for them for when they are tired to not have to be perfect all the time. Uh, so it's kind of a double-edged, double-edged sword there. Yeah. My spouse is like, I'm sure you can accomplish anything you want. Cause you're resilient. And I'm like, I'm not sure that's a positive thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So true. Sometimes I don't want to have to be is a burden. I don't want to have to be. I just want to rest. Sometimes. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So as we wrap up the podcast today, what would you like to leave the inspired women audience with? Well, first, just a thank you, because again, this podcast has been such a savior for me during the pandemic, feeling isolated, getting to connect to all these women. So any women out there who would like to stay connected, please find me on social. I'm just at Sarah Glova PhD, and we can share that in the show notes, but Mm -hmm. just a big thank you. The other thing is confidence really is a practice. And when you show up confidently, it doesn't mean you think that you know all the answers, and it doesn't mean that you think that everything's going to go perfectly. It just means that you feel like you've got you either way, that if things do mess up, that you'll be able to figure, figure out how to go forward. That if there is something you don't know, that you'll be able to learn it. And that no matter what, you're going to kind of stay true to who you are and what you're interested in. And that that one experience isn't going to define you. That is confidence. It's a constant practice. Even people like me who research it and work on it and talk about it have to practice it every day. And so just keep showing up confidently and we uh, will all benefit if women are able to show up more confidently because we'll be able to um, bear witness to their great work. People do much better work when they're able to show up confidently. Absolutely. I love reading research uh, from women. I'm like, yes, get it. It makes me so happy. And I nerd out about research so much too. And I'm like, I want to be a professor. And I'm like, as a professor, I get to do this for the rest of my life. It's so great. Yeah, they do. Well, and there's a great example of someone talking about something they're passionate about. And I think that, um, you know, we talk a lot about finding your passion. I don't want to get into that toxic, positive, you know, it's, it's really like, what would I do even if people made fun of me? Because I love it that much. And finding those pieces in your work can be one, one great way to go forward with confidence. Absolutely. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being a part of the Inspired Women audience. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating review. And don't forget to share this out with somebody who could use some inspiration today. Tag us at Inspired Women Podcast, both on Facebook and Instagram. Have a great day.